Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. McConnell, hello and welcome to The Hill, where we are live today from Tuscaloosa on the campus of the University of Alabama. It's the site of Wednesday night's GOP presidential debate, airing right here on News Nation. It is a consequential moment for the Republican hopefuls who want to be the next commander-in-chief. So, who will be on stage Wednesday, and will they go on the attack against Donald Trump? We'll speak with one of those candidates, Vivek Ramaswamy, in moments. Plus, the politics of college football. We saw it break out in full force this weekend, and now politicians are weighing in on the FSU playoff snub. And the Biden administration now warning that the funding for Ukraine is about to run out, what they are asking for by the end of the year. Hello and thank you for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, hanging out here in Alabama today with Chris Dyerwald, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Back in Washington, D.C., by the way, we have Julia Manchester, national political reporter for The Hill, Dan Cannonan, former Obama campaign official, and Ashley Davis, former George W. Bush White House official. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. All right, so there are some big headlines in this part of the country. Yes, there is that big upset from the Crimson Tide over the weekend that involves a different kind of politics. But how about these headlines? Alabama.com, how Alabama's GOP secured the state's first ever presidential primary. Tuscaloosa News, no tickets left available for Tuscaloosa presidential debate. And then there's this. What is News Nation? How a rising cable news outlet landed Tuscaloosa GOP debate. What's read, up, my man? I read that one. It was good. They quoted one real smart guy. I yeah. forget. Oh, wait, it was me. Star so, oh, oh, it was me. That's, yeah. why I, that's why I like that I one. I thought you were so. talking about Jonathan Killian. The, uh, uh, yeah, like, yeah, oh, well, there's, yeah, there's, there's yeah, there you quite go. So, quite so, quite uh, so. Alabama. Well, I've got my... You, you got your Crimson Tie? You see, I've got the Crimson Tie. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be in Tuscaloosa. I love it here. And I can tell you that I just walked down here into the spin room uh, after spending most of the day with the team working on these questions, hammering it out. And the thing that I can tell you, we'll get into this room after the debate. We'll hear all of the all of the lip flap from all of the campaigns and do all that stuff. But what this comes down to in the end, and this is what was reinforced to me today, this is about the quality of the questions. We've got three great moderators. And we've got really good questions. They're really tough. And 
when you think about how this debate's going to go and how it will help serve the interests of the voters here in Alabama and for Republicans across the country, uh, the potency of these questions, uh, there's some real doozies in there, uh, <laughs> and it's going to be a good one. So um, they want to be the 47th president of the United States. New polling out today uh, that shows they've got a long way to go still to catch the 45th president of the United States, who you could say is the, the standard bearer for the moment at the, of the Republican Party, partly why Wednesday night is so important. Well, look, the, uh, when you look at this poll from our uh, friends and partners at Decision Desk HQ, uh, you see it here. Look at how you have this massive gap here. Even if you put all of the non-Trump candidates together, they're still running short of Trump which means they're running short of time to consolidate and offer a real alternative to Donald Trump. Think about it this way. We are, what, 50 days away or so from uh, 52 days away from Mm -hmm. the Iowa caucuses. If Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis can't settle their hash and figure out uh, between them who should be the one to go up against the final boss, Donald Trump, uh, then that's not going to happen. That that will not take place. And that's why DeSantis and Haley have been on a collision course for weeks, and it's going to come to a head right here in Tuscaloosa. And then for the folks at home who are watching, like Steyerwalt Berman, where you sit and tell them about this room. Uh, this is uh, a pen for... Uh, <clears throat> a pen. You have to get a pen. It's a pen uh, into which we will herd the members of the <laughs> okay, press uh, after this. And the campaigns come in and yeah. they say, well, when when uh, our candidate said X, Y, Z, what they really meant was QRS. And right. don't listen to them when they said that. And really, they were right the whole time. Right. This is the spin room. This spin is spin room. alley. But there's, but there's no spin between you and me. No, we're, no, no. We're just keep shooting them straight. Yep. Uh, we'll get to Julia... Ashley and Dan in a moment. But first, uh, one of the candidates who will be on that debate stage is the entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. So far, he has uh, been aggressive during onstage showdown with other candidates. We'll see what happens Wednesday night at the exclusive News Nation Republican presidential debate. And Vivek Ramaswamy joins us live. Vivek, thank you for being back here on the Hill. Appreciate it. It's good to be on. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's nice to be Alabama in Alabama. We'll see you here in a few days. Um, so Ron DeSantis, who will be on the stage as well, said over the weekend, he said, quote, we're going to win Iowa. I think it's going to help us help propel us to the nomination. Uh, what state are you going to win, Vivek, to help propel you to the nomination? I think there's a lot of states who are going to win, but I think we're going to shatter expectations in Iowa. I think we have a good shot at winning Iowa. Then you look ahead to states like Nevada and other states that other candidates haven't focused on. I think we have a great shot to win those states, too. One of the things Ron DeSantis and others have said is there's the full Grassley, the 99 counties that he recently touted visiting. I'm doing the full Grassley times two, being at all of those 99 counties twice over by the first week of January. We're drawing immense crowds and we're seeing a lot of energy. And I'll give you one stat here that's interesting, which is many of the people coming to support us at the caucus are first time ever caucus goers which means we're going to shatter what the polls say, and I think there's a surprise coming on January 15th. So it sounds like you, it, it sounds like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you, you are trying to overperform expectations in Iowa. Um, I didn't hear you mention yep. New Hampshire and South Carolina and then move on to Nevada. So I think that, to be crystal clear, I think we're going to overperform expectations in each of both Iowa and New Hampshire. Then I think we have a shot at winning Nevada. South Carolina, admittedly, is a difficult state. You have a lot of others who have been there. Nikki Haley, who was from there, 
Donald Trump and elsewhere. So that is not a focal part of our strategy to win that state. But remember, Nevada comes before South Carolina. And then when we get to the Midwest, in Michigan and elsewhere, I think we're going to do really well. All right. You mentioned Nikki Haley uh, in the last debate, Vivek. As you know, there was uh, the moment where you name-checked her daughter, who was in her 20s, and then Nikki Haley went back at you with this. I want to ask you about it on the other side, but let's play it for the audience. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. The next generation of Americans are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters propping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just scum. Vivek, she said you're scum. Are you going to confront her on that? Well, she's called me four-letter words in each of the last two debates, so I would advise her to expand her vocabulary if she wants to come anywhere near the White House. But the fact of the matter is Nikki Haley has been talking about Hunter Biden and his cocaine or other issues for a very long time. The funny thing is I wasn't criticizing her daughter. I was criticizing Nikki Haley. She says we need a new generation of leadership. She's on the wrong side of that generational divide. I don't think it's a sin to be on TikTok like her daughter is like I am. I think what is really more reprehensible is sanctimoniously scolding others without having the first clue of what the heck you're talking about. And I do think the GOP needs to reach young voters and persuade them to revive national pride in this country. So it's fair to say there is a fundamental ideological divide in the GOP. There is that older generation of Dick Cheney conservatives who believe in fighting foreign wars from Iraq to Afghanistan, who believe in censorship here at home. And I reject that vision. I put, believe in putting this country first, so you, swearing an oath to the Constitution, embracing free speech. You mentioned the divide, Vivek. You've, you've seen the same numbers that we all have. Depending on the poll, yeah. uh, you're some 50 points, maybe even up to 60 points, behind Donald Trump. Are you going to go after him Wednesday night on the stage here in Alabama? Look, I'm going to be making the case for my candidacy. And I will tell you that... There are two America first candidates in this race. That's Donald Trump and myself. And I think what you're seeing in those poll numbers is a resounding clear answer that the Republican Party is the party of America first. The old era of Dick Cheney conservatism. So, Vivek, I'm, I'm sorry to jump in, but I, I just heard you. Part of the yeah, I just heard you. So, so I was just going to. I was going to tell you. I'll draw. I just contrast. heard you attach your... I'll draw contrast, but I'm not in this. Okay. To go after. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm not in this to go after Trump. I'm in this to make the case for myself, and I do expect to be the nominee. So if you, uh, you expect to be the nominee, how do you do that? So that, that's yeah. where I was going to go, right? Because, you know, you've heard the questions. Yeah. Is he running to be the vice president? Is he running to be in the cabinet? Because you, you haven't gone firmly after Donald Trump. Yet I just heard you say, I expect to be the nominee. So I'll leave you with this. How do those two coexist with a Republican defeating Donald Trump, yet not willing to list all the different ways as to why they are better than Trump? I actually think it's important for the next president, the next Republican nominee, to actually honor his legacy and respect that he kept us out of wars and grew the economy. But to then make the case of how we can clear that high bar and take the America First movement to the next level. And I think a lot of voters are hungry for someone with fresh legs from the next generation to reach and lead a new generation of Americans that is lost for direction and purpose. I'm doing that in a way that the GOP never has. And so I will admit the early states like Iowa are going to be critical. I'm showing up on the ground at a scale that, frankly, nobody else in this race is even coming close. 
a lot of those grassroots voters are slowly coming over to us. We're not rushing them in that sales cycle, but I do believe that we're going to be successful in bringing along a significant portion of that base with us. And ultimately, I do think it'll come down to the two America First candidates. If people want to go with the candidate who has more experience, that's Donald Trump. If people want to go with the candidate who's going to start with fresh legs and actually have the youth to reach the next generation, that's going to be me. And my bet is that's the direction that most primary voters are going to choose. All right. Well, I can tell you, Vivek, it's about 60 degrees and sunny here in Tuscaloosa. So I don't know where you are right now, but but we got some great weather. and We'll see you here in a couple days. Uh, Safe travels. Thank you. Look forward to it. Yep. You got it. All right. So now more on our exclusive News Nation Decision Desk HQ polling. We asked voters if a conviction, hypothetically, of the former president, Donald Trump, in one or more of his criminal cases would actually impact their vote. Among Republicans, only 17 percent say it would, while an overwhelming 72 percent say a conviction would not change their vote at all. Here's another one. Among independents, 34 percent say a conviction of the former president would impact their vote. This is independence now. 52 percent say it would not. Dan, Ashley, Julia, come on in uh, back in our studio in D.C. Uh, hello to you all. I'll start with uh, why don't we start with you, Ashley, because I know you're supporting uh, Nikki Haley. You just heard me um, ask him, what do we expect between him and her on Wednesday night? Uh, yeah, first, I would love for Chris to explain maybe in a little bit how who was polled, because it does shock me. I read all your poll, and I think it's, a, a, you know, interesting. I just think, I can't believe that 72% still would uh, vote for him with its conviction. I do agree with that in regards to Okay, so stop, hold on, so voters. stop there, stop, stop there, Ashley. Let's, let's ask, let's ask Chris. <laughs> well, uh, the question is, uh, would it impact your presidential vote? So we have to remember that there are a lot of the people in that 72 percent who said that it would not impact their vote who already aren't voting for him. Right. So that's 40 percent of the party or whatever uh, that already is a no. Uh, They're already in that 72 percent. And then the rest of them, I just assume that they the rest of that 72 percent are ride or die. They don't care. They they have concluded that the justice system is corrupt. Trump is uh, a martyr and uh, they're all the way in. But I will only say. It all sounds good to say, but then you got to do. You got to pull the lever. Then you got to actually go do it. And that would, of course, affect the way that Trump matched up with Biden and all that other sassafras. Dan? <laughs> well, lots on back there. I, I think a couple of things from your interview previously. I think Vivek Ramaswamy is a great example of what comes from Trump. You've got a candidate, another one, completely untethered from reality. It's a winner-take-all state in Iowa and the other states. He's not going to come within 50 points, and he's not going to win any states. That's my first comment. My second comment is I, I think Ashley's point is pretty valid, and, and Chris, your explanation is helpful, but it, it is fair, fair to say there's a lot, a lot of Republicans who are ride or die still on Trump. I think he's locked in that base. That's not changing. But even if it's just 17%, that is a sizable amount when you think of how close our elections are. And I want to make one more point about the Alabama piece, if I could, uh, Chris and, and Blake. Um, that's the state where the, the most total ban on abortion exists. And in that same poll you showed, I think 30% of Republicans think that the GOP has gone too far in abortion. I think folks will watch t- tomorrow night and see what's going to happen, or Wednesday night, excuse me, on the debate and see more of what's going to come from that party going forward. Oh, you got that in there. Julie, I'll get to you in a second here, but Ashley, I kind of, I kind of, <laughs> Ashley, I, I cut you off there, so, and, and you're supporting Nikki Haley, so, I mean, you see the oh, numbers, no, you I see went, the polls, uh, Wednesday night, a big moment, you think what? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think Nikki's going to continue to do what she's been doing. She obviously has outperformed everybody at, at all the debates, and that's not a talking point. I mean, everyone would agree to that. I, but I also think what she's doing, she is going to as many events as she's can, she can in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. She's continuing to meet with people one-on-one, and she is the momentum. I mean, everyone keeps saying this, and we've said it many times on this show. She's the only one that's continuing to go up in the polls, not down. She's the one that's getting all the endorsements, and I think she has the momentum. Julia? So, I, again, we feel good going into this. And, Dan, I don't think that they're going to – they went to Alabama because of the abortion law. That was a, that was a yeah. stretch. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I want to give Julia the last word here. Yeah, look, I mean, this poll definitely tracks with the other polls we have seen. Nikki Haley certainly is rising. Um, but I think the, the real question for tomorrow night, especially for Nikki Haley tomorrow night, this is her fourth debate. She's rising. But she's not catching up or closing that gap yet with Donald Trump. And we're six weeks out from the Iowa caucuses. So it's, you know, we we can talk about how she's rising, but there's that real question of, okay, what do you do after you get second place? All right. Well, now a a fun moment, you could say, from last night's annual Kennedy Center Honors. It was a star-studded event for honorees, including Billy Crystal, uh, Queen Latifah, Dionne Warwick as well. But it was a joke about the current president that took the spotlight. This happened during a speech by Robert De Niro. You're only 75. That means you're just about six years away from being the perfect age to be elected president. <laughs> so there's President Biden clearly laughing it off, but a joke about uh-huh. the age. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Biden. Hilarious. Right he sits there. <laughs> All right. Uh, by the way, a reminder uh, that you can still listen to us here on the Hill on Sirius XM. Today is the very first day. Look at that guy there. Ooh. The Hill on News Nation now airing on the POTUS channel weeknight, 6 o'clock Eastern. That is after our show here uh, on TV. And uh, that's a channel 124 if you're on the Sirius XM app, driving around your car, whatever you might be doing. So no matter where you are, you can join us for a breakdown of the biggest stories on Sirius XM starting today. Super pumped about that. But coming up, there are a few things that are bigger in these parts than Alabama football. And they were dead smack in the middle of a huge debate this weekend. Why Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, even Rick Scott, all now jumping in complaining. But man, are they happy here in Tuscaloosa. Steyerwald breaks down the politics of college football coming up. Plus, what about this meeting between Jared Kushner, held with a key Middle East leader? He's not in the White House anymore, not a senior advisor to the president, but he's holding closed-door meetings. Do you take any issue with that? And wait until you hear who was in the room. We are live from Alabama and back in a few when The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So the college football playoffs are set, as you might know, but the announcement of the four teams that are competing for the season's championship came with a whole lot of controversy. And as it seems with everything in this world, there's politics involved here. By the way, it involves the University of Alabama. Steyerwalt 
here to break it down. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Now, you're happy with how things are turning mm-hmm. out here because you went to the University of Michigan. Number one seed. And they're the number one seed. Now, you're probably unhappy about it because you're going to have to play Alabama, <laughs> and Alabama's been on a hot streak. So the idea today is to explain to you, gentle citizens, why you might care about this. Because unless you're, and let's face it, the overwhelmingly male uh, population of these United States, why do you care uh, if you're not a devoted college football fan, why Florida State didn't get into the tournament and Alabama did? I'm going to disclose for you my predilections up front. Nick Saban's from West Virginia. We're being hosted by the University of Alabama. My tie is reflective of my bias here in the fact that I'm very happy that Alabama's in the tournament. I was a heck of a game with Georgia. But here's the problem. We know how I said that it's dudes mostly who watch college football and who are interested. Well, guess who else? Republicans. A lot of Republicans. There's a, this is a high salience Republican issue, and a lot of college uh, football fans are inside the Republican Party, and we're here in Alabama. Okay, so if you're Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, theoretically the executive in charge of the state that operates Florida State University, you need to have an opinion about it. So he did. Because people feel very strongly about this. And he complained bitterly. He said, what we learned today is that you can go undefeated and win your conference championship, but the college football playoff committee will ignore these results. Bitter. He's bitter, Blake. He's a very bitter person when he's talking about this. Uh, And then sensing an opportunity, Donald Trump piled on quickly thereafter, sharing the bitterness, but uh, attacking DeSantis. Florida State was treated very badly by the quote committee. He's giving them scare quotes. Uh, They became the first Power Five team to be left out of the college football playoffs. Really bad lobbying effort. Let's blame DeSanctimonious. Okay, and then Rick Scott, the Florida senator, uh, came in and he piled on into this too, grousing about this as well. And we're going to have hearings and we're going to make people do this. On Wednesday, when this debate goes down, who would you most want to be sucking up to? You think about this. So you're going to have these candidates on stage. The exact number still not announced. You're going to have these candidates on stage. You're going to have a hall packed with Alabama fans. Who are you going to want to be sucking up to, Florida State or Alabama? I think, I think that there's an opportunity, whether it's Ramaswamy or Haley or somebody else, to be roll-tiding up there pretty hard uh, and let Ron DeSantis hang out with the Seminoles. You think that could happen? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'd do it. I'd pat McAfee the heck out of this place if I got the chance. Uh, you think you're not going to get a big roaring cheer in yeah. that room if you roll tide? I'd roll tide if I was Nikki Haley. Styrewall breaks it down. Um, I know we're in Roll Tide country, but the other half of my house is Florida State. Oh, that's they a... Got, they got hosed. They got hosed full stop. Uh, ACC's week. <laughs> ACC's week, Berman. Hey, hey, so what about the politics of this, Julia, Dan, <laughs> Ashley? I, yeah. I'm of the position Florida State got hosed, but there you go. <gasps> You know what's so interesting? I'm so glad Chris took that segment because I know nothing about sports. Ashley and I were like frantically t- asking Dan, what do we say? What, what is this? And we really don't know if we care. <laughs> we don't know. But I think here's what, here's what you guys need to know. Here's what you need to know. The ACC is a weak conference and did not deserve <laughs> okay. to be in the playoff, even though it was undefeated. That's your takeaway. Okay, okay. Thank you. Dan does have a good comment on this. Well, I do start with this, but I I think it's less about sucking up. But remember when Paul Ryan in 2012 could not articulate whether he was going to vote for or root for Ohio State or Wisconsin in a game because he was in Ohio at the time? Folks want to see real fandom. Just be a fan. That's the best way to get this across.
on the stage tonight. Be who you are. That I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. So then what happens if DeSantis g- gets in here and, and faces the wrath of Alabama fans? I'd lean into it. If I was Ronnie D, I yeah. would lean into it and be like, <laughs> that, I'd make a joke that, out of it. I'd laugh about it. I'd say like, oh, well, you, you know, I, I, want, I want your vote even if by I... By the way, as, as a, a household of, of Florida State, half Michigan, half Florida State... There ain't no joking about what happened. Well, but happened. you got off easy. You got off easy because if, if you had to play, if Michigan had to play Florida State, you'd have been in a lot more trouble. This way you can yeah. just commiserate. Yeah, you can yeah. say, oh, honey, I wish. If only, if only, if only. If only, if only. <laughs> we'll see if it's brought up. Uh, Dan brings up a good point, though. you got to be authentic if you're a politician. Absolutely. We'll see if it comes go up. Go Badgers. Uh, here on Wednesday night. All right. Go Badgers, there I guess. All right, coming up, uh, Jared Kushner. No longer plays a role in the White House, as you know, but he might be playing a role in the Israel-Hamas conflict. Who he met with and why is he getting mixed up right now with politics in the Middle East? He's a private citizen. He's no longer working at that building behind him. We'll discuss. Plus, the war is approaching its second month and the global outrage continues over civilian lives in Gaza. So how should the U.S. respond? The former National Security Advisor John Bolton joining us as well. When the Hill... From Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where they undoubtedly say roll tie. Return. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So is it a bit of deja vu? Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, uh, his daughter, Ivanka Trump, are they looking to influence Middle East diplomacy? Axios is now reporting about a meeting hosted by Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump with the prime minister of Qatar and a bipartisan group of mostly Jewish businessmen. Happened last week when the prime minister was in lunch for a U.N. Security Council meeting on the hostage crisis in Gaza. Dan, Ashley, Julia, come on back in. I mean, look, I remember covering the Trump administration when John Kerry was uh, talking to Iran. And here was Donald Trump on John Kerry. He should be prosecuted. John Kerry violated the Logan Act. He's talking to Iran and has many meetings and many phone calls, and he's telling them what to do. What's the difference between that and what Jared Kushner's doing? Well, Qatar is not our raw to start with, yeah. but uh, for number one. But I also think Qatar but is our all, ally. We, have, we, we do have very, very, a very, very big, big uh, military base in Qatar. Qatar is the one that we are using right now to help us with the negotiations between Israel and Hamas. I think there is a rule, and he's a pri- I know he's a private citizen, but I don't think that there, uh, he can have any meaning he really wants. And unless we know he's trying to influence foreign policy, I'm another, sure major, issue another difference, I would say, is that you have, obviously, Jared Kushner, who was on Donald Trump's administration and helped uh, facilitate the Abraham Accords. So he has, already has these relationships, and he uh, clearly has a stake in this, wanting to preserve the Abraham Accords. And I think it's at a time when Israel feels, before October 7th, they were very close to, uh, you know, definitely, I don't want to say spreading their influence, but definitely having warmer relations with the Arab world. We were very close uh, between Israel and Saudi Arabia on getting to that point. So I think Jared Kushner is certainly maybe trying to keep that legacy going. Qatar is a very small country. Dan, it is a size of Connecticut. 
Well, I, I do, but but one quick point on the front end. It's a small country. It's the size of Connecticut. They've got this air base that Ashley mentioned that's a U.S. air base, 11,000 troops. They've got Al Jazeera television, and they've got their diplomacy. There's both a Hamas and a Taliban political office in Qatar. It's very serious stuff to deal with these guys, and that it is immensely important right now in the middle of the hostage negotiations what's happening in Israel. I think what Jared Kushner is probably doing is leveraging his prior role, which he does not have now, and the fact that, that Qatar wants a relationship with the United States and the West. They want to be these negotiators across bad actors in, in Islamist and the Western uh, states. And they're using this opportunity with Kushner to do just that. And Kushner gets to put in the room a bunch of wealthy financiers, which is clearly a business interest for him. None of that's a problem as long as Jared Kushner registers under the Foreign Agent Relations Act, because you can't represent on behalf of another person in another country. In this instance, this is exactly what got Bob Menendez in trouble. I'm not saying he's doing what Bob Menendez did, but you've got to register. And I don't know if he did. So that would be a great question to ask him and his folks next time we get the chance. So you mentioned the individuals who were in that meeting, according to Axios. Uh, Bill Ackman, of course, uh, billionaire in the finance world. Robert Kraft, most of us know who he is, owner of the New England Patriots. Mark Lassery owns the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Dan Senor, by the way, friend of the show. We've, we've had him on a couple times. He was at that meeting. Chris, um, any issue with, with what Kushner's doing here? I think your comparison to John Kerry is exactly right. Um, obviously, Jared Kushner uh, has benefited enormously uh, since he le- since the Trump administration left office for his the connections that he had in the Middle East and that he developed through his work on the Abraham Accords. Big, 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 right? Uh, Hunter Biden would be put to shame by the <laughs> amount of money that Jared Kushner has been able to haul in, uh, and that was facilitated by his work for the administration. So which way is the revolving door swinging here? Uh, is this him using his political connections to rake bucks uh, because he can show influence, he can get these wealthy people in to meet with an important person? Or is he trying to steer the ship of state even though his father-in-law is not in office? Either way, it's weird, uh, and either way, it's complicated and complicating. And Donald Trump was probably right about John Kerry, and Democrats are probably right about this. All right. Well, the White House, by the way, is making an urgent appeal to Congress to move on its request for billions of dollars of aid to Ukraine. The White House Budget Director, Shalanda Young, writing to congressional leaders today the following, saying in part, quote, Without congressional action, by the end of the year, we will run out of resources to procure more weapons and equipment for Ukraine and to provide equipment from U.S. military stockpiles. There is no magical pot of funding available to meet this moment. We are out of money and nearly out of time. That from the White House today. Joining us now, John Bolton, of course, the uh, former national security advisor in the Trump administration, former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations as well. John, thank you, uh, Mr. Ambassador. Uh, thank you for being back here on the Hill on News Nation. I'm, I'm sure... Let, let, we'll get into, well, no, let's start with Ukraine, because I just teed it up there. What about this from the administration uh, and this $61 billion request for Ukraine? Needed right now or not? Well, I don't, I don't think it's needed tomorrow. I do think it's urgent, and I think Congress should approve it. I think uh, there's a little hype in the, in the uh, budget director's statement, but in terms of substantive policy... There's no doubt Congress should act on this, I would hope, before they go home for Christmas. Mitch McConnell uh, pushing forward today. Um, You've you've got a a sense, a a pulse of Republicans in Washington. Do you you think Republicans end up up backing this, or is this going to be one of those things that gets tied with with, with several other options? 
Well, I think everybody on the Republican side wants to tie it to some kind of reform of our immigration policy with respect to Mexico, including Mitch McConnell. So I think that's going to happen. I think Ukraine aid is approved easily in the Senate, and I think it will be approved in the House. Even a lot of Republicans who will vote against it are doing it as a free vote. They know the Democrats will support it, more than half Republicans. And it's a way for them to get Donald Trump off their back. It's not a profile in courage, but I think the new speaker has made it clear it's a priority for him to get it done. So I think it's going to happen. What, are the, what do you make, sir, of the U.S. posture right now as it relates to Israel with the war resuming there and um, the administration urging slash warning uh, Israel to be careful in, in South Gaza? Well, I think uh, the Biden administration is exercising what I call the terrorist veto. Obviously, Hamas does not want to be destroyed, which is Israel's objective. And every obstacle that uh, the administration puts in Israel's way harms Israel's legitimate right to self-defense, which includes eliminating the threat. Uh, You know, the laws of war allow Israel to do what it's doing. If somebody has some specific information that Israel has deliberately targeted civilians or that it has failed to weigh the importance of military targets versus collateral civil damage, let's hear it. But complaining that the the Israeli military is not acting properly reverses the moral responsibility. The morally uh, irresponsible party here is Hamas which not only is brutal and barbaric with respect to Israeli civilians, but with respect to its own civilians. It cannot be that you are barred from protecting yourself against terrorism because the terrorists terrorize their own people. That is a terrorist veto. The administration has to be very careful here. Mr. Ambassador, I got to run, but I'm sure you were listening to some of what we were discussing with Jared Kushner uh, and, and the Qatari PM. Do you take any issue with it? What do you think's going on? I mean, he is, he, he's not a part of the current administration anymore, and, and there's these, you know, closed-door meetings. It, it, any, anything, anything to it, or do you think it's just fine? Well, there are several things at issue here. The first is the Logan Act, which uh, his father-in-law constantly wanted to prosecute John Kerry for. Let's dispense with that quickly. The Logan Act is flatly unconstitutional. Uh, if it weren't, uh, I and every other form of official who talked to another country's officials would probably be guilty of violating it. I think it's silly. Number two, uh, is Kushner uh, illegitimately using his government past for profit? I mean, that's a question you need to know more about. It, it is a fact that people come out of the government uh, knowing officials in, in other governments, and a lot of them go into business to, to try and make something off of it. I don't understand how anybody can think there's a Foreign Agents Registration Act issue here, since there's no foreign principle that I can see. I don't think Jared Kushner was acting on behalf of the Qataris. I think he was acting on behalf of Jared Kushner. (laughs) All right, (laughs) former Ambassador John Bolton. Uh, Thank you, sir. Nice to have you in, as always. Anytime. Thank you. Yeah, we'll see you again soon. Hey, Dan, come on back in if if you're in studio there, because... um, He, you know, you were the one that brought up the, the foreign agent uh, point, and uh, the ambassador seems to disagree with you. I, I disagree with him. I, my understanding of the law under FARA is if you're going to be promoting a foreign official inside the United States, 
not if you go over to, to some other country and work on their elections and work on their, their politics, but if you bring them into the United States and work on U.S. politics, including U.S. citizens, it's not just the government, that can trigger a FAR registration. Now, they're, they're, they're frequently not prosecuted. It's a pretty high bar to get there. But by the letter of the law and by the, how I was counseled when I was in the administration, that would absolutely be a registration that would have to be taken place in that circumstance. So I, I disagree with Ambassador Bolton entirely. Wasn't he repping? I, I, don't, I don't pretend to know. And th- why should that stop anybody on cable television? I don't pretend to know uh, everything about this. But wasn't he representing Americans in this situation? He being who? Uh, Kushner. Wasn't Kushner representing Americans in this situation, these American businessmen? These were all, Amer- yeah, American businessmen. So again, maybe, that's the, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. And again, this, you know, reporting from Axios of a meeting, we're just discussing the issue. You know, you heard John Bolton weigh in. So, it, you know, interesting to, to see what comes of it or what doesn't come of it. And, of course, Jared Fish, Kushner, prominent figure. All right. Uh, coming up, this room on Wednesday night, the one behind me here, will be packed and filled with members of the media and top presidential campaign officials. I'll walk you through why this room will be key after the debate. And he's only 17, but some are calling him a teenage political prodigy. Up next, we'll talk with a Tuscaloosa, Alabama native who has the attention of the top leaders in politics when we return here on The Hill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 